welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas, and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. Welcome to this Changing Academic Life episode where I'm talking with Tom Erickson. A conversation that we recorded in November 2018 at the CSCW conference. Tom worked at IBM Research for a long time, having previously worked in the early days of Apple in their advanced technology group. Tom reflects on his experiences working in industry research and on some of the really pivotal work that he's been involved in. He's also telecommuted most of his work life and he talks about how he made this function well for him and his teams. And Tom has also recently retired and he managed his transition to retirement in a really thoughtful way, being very deliberate in thinking about how to make a better life for himself and in what he calls practicing retirement. He's incredibly reflective and self-aware and I hope you find it as stimulating and thought-provoking as I did. Welcome, Tom, and thank you for your time you know, today just to chat. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Um, and I thought it could be interesting to talk to you just because you have chosen to work in industry for a long time and mm-hmm. had very interesting working arrangements there as well and have recently retired, which is something mm-hmm. we can get onto. But just for context, could you just give us a little bit about your background just briefly? Uh, sure. Um, how far back to go? Uh <laughs> no, in my, you know, in my undergraduate years, uh, that's when I got into psychology. Uh, I went to a university that had only one course in cognitive psychology. It was mostly sort of animal psychology or decision theory mm. or, or whatever. Uh, but I really liked the cognitive psychology, which was all about list learning. And uh, and then when it came time to go on, I didn't know what to do, so I thought I'd go to graduate school. Uh, and so it was a case of I didn't know what to do. It was sort of like I, you didn't yeah. have any any inclination to I go out. No, I didn't have an in- inclination to go out traveling. Yeah. Uh, I I didn't know what I would want to do as far as getting a job. Uh, uh, I my jobs during college had all involved working. My I I. I studied both psychology and biochemistry. Uh, and so my work in college was all being in a, a biochem lab and doing enzyme purification, which was kind of fun, but... Uh, Related you know. to cognitive science. Yeah. Uh, and, and so anyway, I, I was sitting there sort of looking at graduate schools. Uh, and uh, I went to college in Houston, Texas, which uh, is... A pretty miserable place as far as the weather goes. Very mm. hot and warm and wet in the summer and chilly and wet in the winter. And there are about six nice weeks either end. So when I went looking for graduate schools, I thought, I want, you know, I've learned my lesson. I want to go to graduate school in a nice place. And at the top of my list of nice, I didn't really want to leave the U.S. or I wasn't mm. thinking in those terms. Mm. And very high on the list was San Diego. And so I was looking through the university of California at San Diego, sort of uh, uh, course listings, and they had all these amazing things about cognitive psychology because I'd only 
done list learning and there were people, you know, the, the Mandler is doing emotion and so-and-so doing this and that and, and just all these, I just had never imagined that there was so much detail in yeah. things people were studied. Yeah. Then I got down to one entry, uh, one professor, and he just had two words and those words were human cognition. And I thought, that's my guy because I'm a pretty general sort of person. <laughs> and his name was Don Norman, and I'd never mm. heard of him. And so, to make a long Very story short, uh, yes, uh, I I ended up uh, actually working for a different professor, Jay McClellan, but he and Don and another fellow, David Rummelhart, shared a lab. And so, uh, so that was uh, UC San Diego. Uh, I published one paper as a graduate student, which might be interesting for... Yeah, when, these when days. was this roughly? Uh, this was uh, graduate school was like 1979, 78, yeah. 79 through, yeah. through the early 80s. Which is so different to today where you almost have to have a publication to get into graduate school. Yes, yes, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just aghast at how much students appear to have to publish yeah. uh, in graduate school. I, I really don't think it's healthy, but... Uh, uh, and I'm not sure if it's good for the field, but it is what it is. So I published a single paper, uh, at, which has had a resurgence of popularity in the last five years, maybe has because it? it got it got alluded to in uh, 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 Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow. He spent a whole paragraph on it, but he didn't cite it. Uh, and but. Apparently, people found out, and and so now it's like in my top five most cited papers, uh, the the single cognitive psychology paper I've I've ever written. Uh, uh, so, but anyway, so uh, I'll have to put a link to that on the page. Okay, okay, we'll do that. Sounds it's, yep. Yes, it's about the Moses mm -hmm. illusion, but I uh, let's not get into that. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, graduate school went on. And uh, many people don't know, but I actually ended up dropping out of graduate school. I do not have a PhD. Uh, I did not ever know that. No, it, it, it's true. <laughs> uh, and aside, uh, Joe Constant once asked me, uh, we live in the same city, uh, to be on a panel for his, that he puts on for his graduate students called, Is There Life After the PhD? And mm. we had all these PhDs who... Who were in industry, you know, one yes. was a hedge fund manager, and so the panel went on. Yeah. Oh, I'm a hedge fund manager, and I, you know, did this, and mm. I'm, you know, I'm running this company, and I'm doing that. And then he got to me, and I said, "Well, not only is there life after the PhD, you can, you know, there's life even if you don't finish the PhD." And there's the life PhD. before the PhD, if you, yeah, <clears throat> yes. never finishing it. And uh, that was not the message Joe wanted to, <laughs> to deliver to, to his his students. Mm. Uh, and uh, so, so I, why, I, why yes. did you drop out? Uh, it was a combination of, of things. There were uh, some personal difficulties at the time. Uh, I wasn't really pleased with the way my thesis was going. I'm not very passionate about what I was ending up doing. My advisor had gotten a MacArthur uh, training grant and had gone off to CMU for five years, and so he wasn't around much to to sort of... Yeah. Urge me on, yeah. uh, and then uh, I got involved in a small startup, uh, and that, and I found I was really interested in the startup, not so interested in graduate school. Mm -hmm. My funding ran out, and the startup wanted to pay me what seemed like a princely sum, 
And uh, so I became the, what at the time was called the user interface czar of a small startup that was making software for the first uh, IBM PCs. Mm. And our big competitor is another little company called Lotus Development Corporation. Just a little company, yes. Just a little company, <laughs> you know, making the first, at the time it was called Integrated Software, where yeah. you had spreadsheet, a spreadsheet and a graphics package and and a word processor that that were somehow integrated and could mm. exchange data pretty easily, which was non non trivial trivial at the time. Uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, I did that for five years. Uh, I did everything from the company kind of had this roller coaster life. It went from you know ten to ninety to one hundred and fifty to sixty to three hundred to forty, you know, kind of like that, right? Mark, and and it, so, yeah. at, in the good times, I was sort of the design guy, and in the bad times, I I even wrote direct mail sometimes, <laughs> uh, uh, marketing literature. I wrote manuals. Uh, it and you know it was it was fun. Mm. Uh, you know, and we worked long days. Mm. It was kind of like mm. the startup scene nowadays, except there was a lot less prospect of getting really wealthy. Yes. And, and I certainly didn't. Uh, anyway, Did the company I, fold in the end or is still It gone? folded after about, I think it held on for 10 or 15 years. It might have sold its last stuff to Microsoft. It was called Software Products International. And its products were de designed to be easily translatable into... Uh, foreign languages and you could switch from the US decimal to the the comma mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. European and we use we have used double you know double floating numbers so Italian banking systems mm. could could use it and and on and on so so it held on for quite a while because yeah. it was it it sort of tapped into the European market uh, and was a, not surprisingly founded by by a European but anyway that that went on for about five years, and towards the end of that time, I got uh, involved with the woman I married, whom I actually had known since high school. Uh, and she was up at Stanford, and I was in San Diego. And I thought it'd be very nice to live in uh, near Stanford, and uh, uh, managed to get a job with Apple, which I did uh, amazingly enough by sending in a resume, cold, in wow. response to an ad in the paper. Yeah. Uh, it was for a competitive analysis job, which uh, I was interested in. And then I got there, and then word had gotten around through my sort of old contacts, and Joey Mountford said, you should be in our group, not going over there. And so anyway, that led to a job at so, Apple. So you got into Apple, and then once you're in, you got taken, moved to another group. No, it, it, it happened during the interview process. I was, right. I was up there interviewing, okay. and suddenly... Oh, well, there's somebody else who wants to talk to you. And it's Joey Mountford, whom I sort of vaguely knew of mm. through Don Norman. And, and, uh, then the sort of course of the interviews changed. And there I was in, in the Apple human interface group. Wow. And, uh, that was kind of like a second education because the group was a combination of psychologists, uh, artists, designers, uh, and, uh, I, you know, and we all work closely together. And so, you know, to the extent I sometimes call my designer, especially if there are trained designers around. Uh, but, you know, that was kind of like a, a quick course in design school. Mm. Uh, I, uh, I learned my three rules of design, which 
maybe I should share. Uh, uh, the first rule is cheat. Cheat. Uh, the second rule is steal. And the third ru- rule is keep it simple. So <laughs> cheating, uh, I learned this from Lori Vertelny. Uh, if you need an icon of, say, a hand holding a pen, you take a pen in your hand, go to the Xerox machine and Xerox your hand holding the pen, oh. and then you reduce it, and then you scan it in and like trace it or something on the computer. Very clever. Uh, yes. Very uh, innovative. Yes, yes. So, so that's the cheating. Uh, the stealing part is uh, color picking uh, is, you know, requires, I think, a lot of artistic sense. So you just find designers around you and, and get them to give you their palettes. Uh, or... Uh, another thing I have done once or twice is I'm a, a big fan of uh, Kandinsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find mm-hmm. the Kandinsky that you like online and then just sample the colors. So this and is the artist Kandinsky. Yes, yes the artist Kandinsky. Yes. And yeah. So that's the stealing part. Yeah. Uh, and then the keep it simple part is when you can't can't cheat or steal, uh, just keep it simple. And so that's why if you look at my designs, they almost involve small color. They I think probably all of them involve small colored dots or squares mm. Mm. against the background of larger geometric figures. Because if you got good colors, the simple geometric figures uh, generally don't look bad. I mean, mm. real designers can can do really amazing things that by by no way I can do, and they and and they can do them very subtly with very irregular figures and things. But you know, it, it's it's been good enough for me. So uh, that's interesting that you didn't have a design background at all, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and ended up just developing these skills yeah, on the it, on the job. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Are some of these designs still in use? At um, all, do you know? No, I, I, I think everything has aged out. Mm. Uh, I mean, I only had one thing that got into the Macintosh operating system, and that was a, a design for uh, how they handled links within the system. Uh, we called it Publish and Subscribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, most of my stuff is not made it into product after after the early startup right. lots of things yeah. there but that was all that that mm-hmm. that this the startup was doing uh character based uh uh interfaces and graphics uh, so so working at apple you actually went into the office you you were for, for the first part of 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 the the period uh oh, okay. so i i lived there uh got married uh and then my wife graduated from Stanford uh, and kind of consulted around for a year or so, but then she got a job at the University of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, what to do, right? Uh, and uh, so I went in and talked to my manager at the time uh, and said, here's what's happened. And I went to move to Minnesota and she said, good luck. Uh, you know, and, and, and that was it. And so I was, you know, all ready to look for a new job. And then the phone rang, uh, or it was probably email, actually. Uh, I got email from Don Norman, and Don said, uh, Hi, I'm, uh, I've just been uh, appointed as an Apple Fellow, uh, and would you be interested in working with me? And I said, that would be fantastic. I'd love to, but there's a problem. 
Uh, and the problem is that my wife got this job in Minnesota and I'm moving to Minnesota. And Don, in his famous, uh, straightforward way, said, that's no problem. You can telecommute. And if it doesn't work, I'll fire you. <laughs> <coughs> and, uh, but you knew where you stood then. Yes, yes, exactly. That's that's, nice. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so I switched to Don's group. I, I, I stayed at Apple. We had a sort of long-distance commuting marriage for maybe six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I had a little bit of FaceTime uh, with Don and, and other people uh, and a few other people who joined joined the group. That was the user experience architect's office. And uh, but then I, you know, then I transitioned to Minnesota, and uh, the t- telecommuting worked well enough. Uh, and that lasted for, I think, five years until uh, the second coming of Steve Jobs. Uh, I was hired just after Steve Jobs was uh, essentially forced out of Apple. Uh, when Steve Jobs, he, Steve was always apparently against Apple having a research organization. So uh, Steve was uh, forced out of Apple. Uh, then people in Apple started a research organization called the Advanced Technology Group. Uh, which is what I, let's see, uh, when I joined Apple, I don't think the advanced technology group quite existed or it was just coalescing. Uh, Joy Mountford's group was just in the, the finder division, uh, whatever we called it. And then after about a year there, uh, the group split and the idea is some people would go into the advanced technology group and mm-hmm. some people would uh, stay behind uh, and work on, on the finder. Almost everybody wanted to go to to advanced technology, and so mm-hmm. pretty much the whole group moved into into that and started working on advanced product concepts. Uh, in, yeah. So in research, uh, as a research um, endeavor rather than product development yeah. per se. Yes, it was sort of let's let's try to put together uh, compelling visions of yeah. what future computers might be like, and so. Uh, I'm not sure if if you'd like more detail or not. We we did a couple of things that I think had indirect impacts uh, on things we know today. Uh, one was we were doing an internal thing called uh, Apple Search, which was one of the early search engines. Uh, I remember when they first turned it on inside Apple. Apple had networking built into its computers, but... Nobody really knew about it, and so the first time they ran the search engine uh, and then sort of shared it with, with, you know, made it public so anyone could use it, turned out you could access all kinds of confidential documents because <laughs> people weren't expecting their computers to be, to be accessible. Uh, to be accessible. Uh, but, but anyway, that, that turned into uh, a product development, which never, it went out as a product called probably called Apple Search, but it never really caught on. But... Also, at that time, we'd been approached by uh, a fellow at the time from Thinking Machines Corporation by the name of Bruce Durkale, uh, who people now mainly associate with the Internet Archive. And Brewster wanted to, uh, he was excited about text and the Internet, and he wanted to search the whole Internet. And he had conceived a project uh, called Waze for Wide Area Information Servers, and he put together a consortium of companies, one of which was Apple, to do the UI. Uh, and uh, uh, 
ultimately produced the first working system that sort of tried to do what the web did. Uh, it was based on a, a, a protocol from the library community called something like Z40. I'm not getting that quite right, mm-hmm. but, but anyway, it was, it was the first working attempt at something like the web. And then Gopher came along, uh, and was much more popular. And then Gopher got eaten up by, by the World Wide Web. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, so that was one thing. And then the other thing is at home, I still have a, a prototype of what I would, might call the granduncle of the iPad. Uh, it's, uh, has a touch, touch, a screen that responds to touch or stylus. It can tell the difference. No keyboard. Uh, and, uh, it's ugly in ways about five times what, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe now ten times what an iPad weighs. But, uh, wow. uh and yes. What, it, what year would we be talking about? Uh, there? that was around, that was the early nineties. Mm. It is an internal competitor to the Newton. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of controversy in Apple because the Newton was, built new from the ground up, used a different chip, didn't use the operating system, mm-hmm. didn't use anything. And so the idea of this other thing, which was called Scribe, is it was built on, uh, at the time it was, what were they called? PowerBook duos. Mm. Uh, and so it was, it, it was an argument to say, not, not only do you get a larger screen, but it uses all this stuff that we've developed. Mm-hmm. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, it got, it it was actually getting pretty far along the product path, and then it got killed. I can't remember if that was before mm. or after Steve Jobs started coming back to the company. But uh, those were the sort of two close closest uh, uh, attempts at have really having an impact, impact through yeah. Apple. So yeah, uh, and then Steve came back uh, and saw. Oh well, there's a research organization here. We can't have that. Uh, and uh, at that time, my group had expanded to like five people. Don had become a VP. Mm-hmm. Austin Henderson was now leading the group. Uh, Paul Dorish was also in the group at the time. Uh, and uh, uh, we were doing kind of far out thinking. Uh, I think we had we. Ch- I think we had changed our name maybe to the Discourse Architecture Lab. Uh, uh, but anyway, we got laid off uh, about three months before all the rest of ATG got laid off, which was good because we got got a shot on the market. Mm, uh, oh, that's yes, a good, that's a good way of, of thinking yes. of reframing yes. that. Yes. That yeah, if you're going to get laid off, yes, better, and then yeah, better early, better early than than later. Early. And yeah. uh, at that time, I'd I had gotten to know Wendy Kellogg through. What was it? The HCIC, Human Computer Interface Consortium, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, turned out our we had sort of interest in similar uh, in 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 common. Uh, she liked some of the the things that I had. Uh, HCIC had this thing called boasters, which were like posters, but you'd give them verbally, mm-hmm. and uh, she liked those, and so we started talking, and eventually. I ended up at, at IBM. I had three days being unemployed. Uh, a whole three days? Yes, yes. Uh, I, I had a. Was that an uncertain time? <laughs> yeah, no, no. Well, you know, a three days gap between, between 
Apple's severance pay and and the start of Oh, okay. So you even knew in those three days that you were going to IBM. So you could just relax and enjoy them. Yes, yes. No, I, I, I had a lot of advance warning that Apple was not going, research at Apple was not mm. going to survive and that I, I should be looking around. And mm. so I did. And, mm. and by the time anything official happened, you know, things in, mm. at, at IBM were, were moving in place. I, IBM took a while because I didn't want to move to New York, uh, cause my wife was a professor in Minnesota, Minnesota yeah. and, and Wendy was fine about me telecommuting, but yes. you know, as the sort of offer and I went out and gave a talk and which was well received and as the offer sort of moved up the hierarchy which is pretty deep at IBM uh, at each level it would kind of get what you know you're hiring this person as a telecommuter and then there would be a little battle but if you have Wendy Kellogg on your side uh, you can triumph over a lot of resistance Uh, and uh, so eventually I was hired as as a telecommuter IBM is a very telecommuting friendly company, uh, and it's, it's really radically distributed, but, uh, uh, they don't tend to hire people from the start as telecommuters unless you're like yes. in, in the services organization. Yes. So that, that was, and it helped, of course, that I had five years of successful telecommuting under my belt mm. and, and mm. we made a nice plan on how to make it work. One of the the things that at, at IBM at IBM yeah. yes so so one manager or director or so, I forget where he was at that time uh, put a condition on my on my hiring uh, which said uh, that I had to spend fifteen or twenty percent of the time consulting with other groups mm-hmm. uh, to build up a network within IBM and that was a really great idea and in fact. I stopped doing that about a year and a half in because, uh, due to, I mean, just, uh, a nice confluence of, of, uh, things happening. I was really successful from the start at IBM. And so at some point I said, you know, things are going really well. Do I really need to do, do this consulting? And everybody said, nah. And so I stopped it. And, but I'm sorry I did that because even, you know, even in, the relatively short time, maybe a year and a half, I, I was bouncing around consulting with different groups. I made a lot of great contacts mm. and, and I. All I, done remotely. Uh, I, I, at that time I was traveling. Oh, so the other thing we did is when I was hired for the first six months, I traveled out. I forget, maybe twice a month. It mm-hmm. was, it was a lot of travel. And then it sort of stabilized for several years on coming out once a month for four mm. days a week. Right. Uh, and then later on, it became a lot more intermittent depending on, on funding yeah. and who I was working for and what I was doing. But, you know, as I said, uh, IBM really is radically distributed. And so there are very few meetings where, uh, there's not somebody calling in on the phone and, mm. and, and that makes a difference because, you know, managers who are used to having people calling in, there, there's an art, art to managing that, right? Yes. Cause it's harder for the, yeah. you know, all sorts of things yeah. getting, you know, getting in. And so a good, a good manager who's, or a good leader who's managing a teleconference will make sure the remote person 
has time to talk. And then you also learn things like keeping back channels open with people you know in the room if you know things. Mm. So, yeah. So anyway, yeah, and and that has proved to work out very well. Uh, I, I guess one thing I I tell people about telecommuting is uh, there are uh, I think three things you need to think about. Uh, it needs to work for you, of course. You know, uh, you're off by yourself all day, uh, and you don't have the face-to-face contact, and that was never an issue for me, I feel. Mm-hmm. If I email somebody and have an email dialogue, I feel like I've talked talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, it has to work for your group, because no matter how conscientious you are, your people who are co-located kind of with where the center of power is and people are coming in to visit, they end up doing a bunch of stuff. Uh, and so you really need to look for ways to pay your own dues, right? So it might be taking notes at a meeting. It might be, but, you know, doing doing some of the, the unfun work that helps things move, move right. forward. You need to do your share. That requires a degree of sensitivity to yes. understand that. That's Ab- really absolutely. interesting. Yes. And then the third challenge is navigating the organization uh, because, you know, you're at a distance, uh, you're not visible, uh, you might, might be producing good ideas, but uh, it's potentially easy for, you know, people j- just to overlook it because you're not there and attached yes. to the ideas yeah. Or, and I have not, I've actually never had the experience of people trying to take credit for ideas I produce, but that can certainly happen. But, you know, again, this is a big function of, in part, IBM was used to people working remotely. It didn't have a lot of people in research who did that, but it had some. So it sort of organizationally understood that. Uh, And then, again, uh, I just have to... Thank Wendy Kellogg, who is always, ma- you know, making me visible when she talked about ideas I'd produced in in meetings and uh, yeah, uh, and and I also uh, tried to do various things to kind of uh, be visible when I was there. Uh, for, I was going to uh, ask you then how you use your four days yes. when you're on site to try yes. to. Address some of the challenges. Yes, yeah, so so there are things that are hard to do remotely, like brainstorming. Yes, right, uh, and so uh, certainly lots of brainstorming uh, or early stages of design work. It works so much better in person. So, and and my my visit could kind of make that a focus, right? Uh, Tom's here, so the group will mm. or whatever sets of people I'm working with. It kind of make you know says okay well let's move into this mode for a while so so that's that's nice um, lots of one on one with people um, also this is more during the latter part of my career uh, I would spend a lot of my time when I would go back to IBM at some I had an office at first but after a while I just gave it up and I would uh, when I wasn't in meetings, I'd be sitting in a, a public space uh, like oh. the cafeteria, mm. and people would be walking along the hall, and mm. they'd see me. Oh, Tom, and you know, and it'd oh, that's be good. being some, literally visible. Yes, yes, mm. yeah, mm. sitting, sitting, and 
the building I worked in was really nicely designed for that because it just had a few, it had a main hallway along a major axis and every, uh, it had 40 corridors and like every four or five corridors, it had a little sitting area with a whiteboard uh, and floor to ceiling windows on the other side, looking out on a beautiful thing. So, you know, I'd find a place to, to kind of sit out and, and work and then people would come along and, mm. and, you know, I'd bump into people I hadn't seen in, in 10 years, right? You know, oh, yeah, we worked together on that and, you know, now she's a VP or something, uh, you know. Uh, that sounds like a great choice to have made. Was that deliberate to do that or was it a, okay? No, it, it was deliberate. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, you know, it's, it's the, it's not hard when you're remote, it's not hard to keep in contact with the people you're working with, right? That in the direct team, in the direct team, yeah. or you know, or, or if you're consulting with other yeah. teams, because you have reasons to talk to one another, yes. and we know how to do that, right? Yeah. It take it can take a little effort sometimes, but, but what's hard is just randomly bumping into those people you haven't seen in a while and have no particular mm. reason to uh, to speak with. But that's key to making sure that. When the organization goes through one of its period periodic reorganizations, people think about you, people who yes. you don't work with, uh, and uh, so yeah, that was. Uh, and maybe th- this is a bit of a jump, but I'll I'll put it in here right now. Uh, so uh, I retired uh, six months ago, and I did quite a lot of work to prepare for it uh, because. Uh, I suppose I was anxious about it. I don't experience yeah. anxiety very consciously, but I, I think my wife would assure you that I was anxious about it. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I deal with, with, with anxiety or whatever it is by trying to prepare. And so I sort of practiced for retirement and I thought about what I was going to be losing, right? Because, uh, there are a bunch of things. I, I spent, I've spent 25 years working at least a thousand miles away from from uh, my workplace, or living a thousand miles away from my workplace. So most of my sort of personal friends are through the workplace. I, I don't have a big personal yes. network yeah. uh, in Minneapolis where I live. And so when I retire, I can't just like pop out and see people for lunch, yeah. right? And also, since it's industry, when I retire, suddenly the corporate firewall slams down, right? Yes. IBM sort of has an emeritus program, but it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't it, make sense if you're not, not present. And it's still, they actually really would rather you go away, frankly. <laughs> uh, uh, and so, you know, I was, I, I wondered, you know, I get so much stimulation just in the course of work, especially because IBM research is just such a terrifically diverse place. I mean, yes. everything from, you know, HCI to quantum computing, uh, there's just always amazing stuff there. And I was about to lose access to all of that. And so, so what so to do? So both the people contacts that you had, even if, even if a lot of it was indirect, and that intellectual stimulation yes. of very diverse, cutting-edge yes. stuff. Yes. And, and, and so what do I do about that? Yeah. And I, I, <laughs> I don't know. It kind of evolved, but I, I now regard it as, uh, slightly tongue in cheek. One of my greatest inventions, 
which is called the Pleasant Chat. <laughs> okay, and the Pleasant Chat is so left to myself. Uh, I'm shy. I'm introverted. Uh, I hate calling people on the phone, which is pretty ironic. Uh, uh, I think there are probably two people I feel okay about calling on the phone without like having a real reason. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so the pleasant chat is basically you schedule a repeating meeting called pleasant chat with somebody. Uh, and you don't necessarily have to have the pleasant chat, but it's there on the calendar and it prompts you. Right. And so with one person, I have, uh, a pleasant chat scheduled once a week and about half the time we, I am one another beforehand and say, yeah. I don't have anything to say yeah. or I'm busy or whatever, yeah. but still we talk at least once a month, if not twice a month, other people, I have a monthly pleasant chat and we're very diligent about every month. We either do it or if it's not working, we shift the schedule a bit, but I have about five or six people, mm. uh, uh, at IBM that I have pleasant chats with and most of them, if I didn't have those pleasant chats going, I would lose touch. Uh, yes. Yeah. You know, and there are a few people I keep up with without that mechanism. But, yeah. uh, you know, the, the big challenge for me is how do I get these channels of new ideas and stimulation coming in, right? Yeah. That's, that's really important. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah. that that's kind of the distance version maybe of the – well, it's different from the sitting in the hallway because – you know, the pleasant chat is with people you know well enough to say, mm. well, would you like to just kind of keep Catch up regularly, up. right? Yeah. That's Yeah. Yeah. And when you're not seeing people regularly, you can intend to have a chat or to catch up. Yes. Yes. But life gets on and you don't. So that sounds exactly. really proactive and structured to set, to set up the calendar entry. Yes. Just I mean, I'm sure there are some base. people who are – I don't know, extroverts or mm. just outgoing, it, mm. it might sound silly, but, but, uh, mm. you know, if, if there's a kind of barrier you have to overcome to do it and mm. it's easy to find excuses to all oh, do it next week yes. or, or whatever and, or they haven't gotten, you know, they haven't called me in a while and so, uh, it just, mm. you know, you have to figure out what, what works for yourself yeah. and, and that kind of structure is is working for me, and I think the people on the other end like it a lot too. So, because mm. if you've been part of, how long were you at IBM for in the uh, end? Almost twenty one years. Yeah, if you've been part of people's lives for that long, it does seem strange to sort of suddenly have a complete mm -hmm. break. Yeah, yeah. You know, although over the twenty one years, I mean, the cast of characters has. Yeah. changed almost entirely. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, I've only known one person from the very beginning to the end, and then we had like a 10-year period in the middle where we didn't see much of one another. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So what else have you been doing to practice retirement? I love that. I love that languaging about practicing retirement. Yes. So that it's it's not a sudden point. Exactly. It's, it, it, like I've got this picture of this overlapping, these overlapping phases that yes. meld into one another, and then you know, yeah. right. So, so the the practice was. Uh, I'll, I'll explain how it came about. So, I I didn't go through my career sort of looking forward to retirement. I never really thought about it, mm. uh, and then uh, there was a period of six months where between. 
my wife and myself, we lost three three parents, our, our, our remaining three parents. Mm. Uh, and that coupled with uh, a couple of friends who passed away uh, sort of shifted the notion that we're immortal, or that we're mortal, excuse me, good mm. slip though, uh, shift, shifted the intellectual understanding that uh, I'm mortal and I have a limited amount of time to kind of an emotional one, right? Yes. Uh, I'm I'm now the... I have an older brother, but, you know, my generation is kind of, we're the oldest generation, yeah. which feels pretty weird. It's a head shift, isn't it? it? It is a head shift. Uh, and you see your parents and their peers uh, aging and losing their ability to do certain things. I've always liked to hike, and mm. I now realize that, you know, in 20 years, maybe if I'm really lucky, I'll still be able to yeah. hike, but, you know, yeah. uh, I'll be, you know, early 80s then, and... Mm. Uh, who knows, right? Mm. Uh, and and so it it that was a big shift where I thought, you know, I have a limited amount of time, uh, and do I just want to spend it all working? Uh, there's a there's a prize at mm. IBM in research. There's a pe- best paper prize uh, named after someone who was a well regarded executive who retired and then died two weeks later, and I thought. You know, I don't think I want to have a prize named after me for for that reason. Not yeah. not that I was in any, yeah. any danger of that, but yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. Uh, so, gosh, where was I going with that? So, just the not wanting to just work it be all about yes, work. Yes, yes. So, so anyway, that that's what shifted me into thinking about retirement, uh, as did uh, a reorganization that really focused. IBM research on AI, which I am very skeptical about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so between those two things, I thought, well, yeah, you should really think about this. And uh, so I started working uh, 60% time. IBM had a special program where you could work 60% time uh, if you were having like family issues or whatever. Yeah. They also have a program where you can do it if you don't, you know, provided your, ma- your manager support you. And so I took advantage of that and kind of tried to figure out what else would I like doing, right? Because work is pretty, I love my work and it's consuming. And so uh, I started, I did two things. I took advantage of that 60% time and I started restricting work to a maximum of eight hours a day, which just feels really weird. Uh, when, so when eight hours a day is full time, but you're saying you're working 60%. Oh, so sorry. Uh, uh, so it was, you know, what eight hours a day? Uh, oh, for the days four, four that you day, were working. Yes, for the days sorry. I was working. Yes, the, of course. yes. But yeah. you know, before <clears throat> before that, I think like lots of people, I worked a heck of a lot more than eight hours in a normal workday. Uh, that you enjoyed doing? Like, was it? Did you feel resentful <clears throat> doing those? Hours? I never felt resentful. Because mm-hmm. um, it sounds like you've really been. Engaged and involved in the intellectual part of the work up to you know the, this sort of the shift turn to the AI. yeah to, you know yeah. I've I've I love the people I work with uh, I generally like the topics as in any job there's always stuff to do that you kind of have to do uh, in a, a corporation there is a lot of uh, stuff that you do because it's part of what the corporation wants to happen and. 
you know, I don't, you know, I might not necessarily believe that it's going to have any impact, but you, know, you do it anyway because, yeah. you know, that's that's what you do. Yeah. Uh, and the same is true in academia, right? Yes, you have these committees yeah. you have to be on and, and service mm-hmm. and, and so on. Yeah. Uh, so, but no, I never, I never felt resentful. Uh, so, how many hours would you have worked roughly? Did you have any sense? I to be on, you know. 10, 12, 14, it, it probably varied a lot yeah. over time depending yeah. on what I was doing. Yeah. You know, and work kind of segues into play for me, right? I mean, you read uh, a book that maybe changes how you think about HCI. Yes. Is that work yes. or is it not? Yeah. I pretty much wrote all the papers sort of out of normal working hours, yeah. except maybe... Because you, you were always publishing. You've got a good sort of publication. Yeah, yeah. And profile. I love to write, so... Yeah. You know, uh, and so that seems mostly more like fun than than mm, work, and that's it's kind of cool that they're they pay they paid paid for me to do it, or I would get rewarded for doing it, and I get paid to go to conferences, mm. and and so on. So, uh, yeah, ne- never any 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 resentment, and mm. I, you know, a lot of people, I guess see corporations or other organizations as as things they have loyalty to maybe that are kind of parental or or and and they and so and suddenly they get laid off and they're angry right they've been yes. betrayed right yeah. i never maybe early on at apple maybe i had that feeling a little bit but i more believed in apple's mission than in than in Apple as an entity that was going to take care of me for life. Right, yeah. And I certainly never believed that about, about IBM. So Because of the Apple experience, do you think, or just being older? Uh, I mean, I, I've just never been, I've always recognized what, I've always been interested in organizations, and you look at an organization kind of uh, objectively in some sense and you see what it is right it's the structure that uh is designed to not de- be dependent on an individual yes you know yeah. uh, and so i never really expected the corporation to take care of me and uh i never you know i felt sad about getting laid off from apple but mm. i didn't feel betrayed or hurt or yeah. anything uh uh so mm. yeah so Shifting then to more deliberately constraining your work to eight hours. Yes. That that was that a hard transition to make. It was not because by that by that time we were uh, doing the the work in the AI area, looking at at data scientists, and uh, I just wasn't that excited about it. Mm. What I, what I, I did do is one one thing I think about is. What is it that I do do during the day that that I love, right? Yeah. And for me, uh, you know, it, it's design, uh, it's interviewing people, it's reading interview transcripts. Mm-hmm. I, I just love the details of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so when we moved into the AI sort of data science period, uh, I got involved in interviewing data data scientists, and I just love interviewing and reading the transcripts and uh but because i didn't really care about the topic area so much i probably i did three studies where probably i interviewed 20 people in one 10 in another 
eight or ten in another with some observation. Never wrote them up. Mm. Uh, yeah. Because a choice not to put your time to that. Yeah, and you know, again, if it had been something I'd been passionate about, I, I probably would have. Yeah. Uh, we would have seen how well the resolution to work eight hours played out then. Yes. But as it turned out, it was not uh, a big challenge. So instead, I started trying to figure out what do I need that will keep me happy afterwards. And so I did a couple of things. Uh, uh, I think the the main thing I did that worked far better than I'd imagined is uh, in this period where I was working less time, uh, I started taking piano lessons. Mm. And I have almost zero background in music. I like played saxophone in grade yeah. school, so I sort of knew some of the notes on the treble clef, and I knew a quarter note from an eighth <laughs> note and thing, but that's about that it. That was it. Yes, I was... I, and I was shocked when I discovered that when you go to the bass clef, the note in the middle isn't called C anymore. It's E. And that's bad design, isn't it? You know? <laughs> uh, so so that that's how uh, how basic it was. Uh, and uh, I so I started taking lessons every week. Uh, and it's very enjoyable to learn something from zero. Uh, it's not very enjoyable to walk into a room every uh, every week with a a teacher who's an expert, and to just do really, really badly, uh, uh, that was uh, very... The first six months were really just stressful and, and awful, uh, and it's 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 gotten better. I'm sort of closing in on two years in February, and, and, and now it's okay, but it was hard to start with, but after... But I, I love practicing, uh, and I'm now to the point where I can play simple songs, not arranged for beginners, mm. and 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 I like the sounds mm. I make, uh, and I can see myself, you know, my hands solving little problems every 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 week and and getting better. Uh, and and what can I say? I I love it. Uh, e- even while I was working, I would. You know, when I was doing the eight hours a day thing, I'd get up in the morning, I'd have coffee, I'd go to the piano, and I'd probably practice two hours in the morning before starting work. So you had to fill up at the beginning of the day. Yes. And that was great because when I retired, the day I, you know, the first official day of of no longer being an IBM, I got up, I had my coffee, I Ah, went to the piano. Yes. Yeah. Started practicing yeah. three hours rather than two hours, but uh, uh, you know. But it, you'd it establish that as a habit and a routine. Yes, and something that gave me great pleasure, yes. right? You know, and yeah. I have, have other things I, I do too that are are routines. And now that I'm retired, like I I run. Uh, I'm I'm not one of these lifetime runners. Mm-hmm. Runners. I sort of took it up when I turned fifty and realized that my sort of original philosophy of well. I'm just going to lead an active life and silly to bother with the gym. And at some point you realize, no, that's not enough. Uh, Things are going downhill and you're going to have to, you know, uh, to slow the decline. You, you are going to have to be systematic about it. Uh, And so, so anyway, uh, so yeah, the, the piano was, was probably the best thing I, I did for myself. uh, And I had no idea how well it would work is more, I, I was thinking more in terms of, well, this is a really deep subject. Uh, I'm interested in it. It'll be fun to try something brand new. I didn't really think of the benefit of having that 
routine yeah, that's, persisting yeah. over time. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was a huge win. And then kind of roughly in that same period, I began expanding the Pleasant Chats. Mm. Uh, uh, and what else? And I began working on, just again, because of the nature of my distant work life uh, and where I lived, most of the friends I have in Minneapolis were originally uh, sort of friends, couples friends, right? My wife and I would socialize with one or more couples, mm. right? Which is kind of a different thing than having individual friends. Yes. And so I started working on developing a couple of individual friendships, mostly with, you know, one member of the couples that we would socialize with. Uh, and, you know, and that, that's been mm. going well. So, uh, but, you know, I think friendships and one-to-one -one relationships are, are crucial. And, you know, for me, some people are, I think, just more naturally sociable and outgoing. But for me, it's something that uh, if I, and I like them, right? But, you know, it's a matter of, it's, it's a matter it of work. It's more deliberate, yes. yeah. It's like going to conferences, right? Yeah. If, if it were just up to me, I'd go to the talks and then I'd go back to my room. Yes. And be alone. I like yes. being alone. Yeah. But instead, I'm very diligent about if there is a reception, you know, I go to it. Yeah. Uh, uh, You're yeah. very self-aware then, aren't you? You know, like you in knowing and embracing who you are, recognizing what needs you have and very deliberately finding strategies to look after your social well-being, physical well-being, mental well-being with piano playing, sort of, you know, creating a good life. Yeah, I mean, certainly at this point in my life, right? Mm. It's been it's been a progression, right? Mm. Uh, I think I was pretty clueless uh, earlier, you know, when I was younger. But, mm. but yeah, I, mm. you know, I think probably one of my strengths is is both being self aware and and then sitting down and developing a strategy to to achieve what I think mm. you know will will make my life better. Mm. Yeah. So if, you know, sitting at this end, looking back on a career, mm. uh, what advice would you give to your younger, clueless self you know, <laughs> if, you, if you had had a chance to talk to that person? That, that's, that's a good one. I mean, I think my younger, clueless self did a lot of things right. Uh, so let me just, I guess, say a bit about that. So especially when you're working in, in you know, uh, industry as a researcher, uh, and it's become more and more true over time, right? Uh, industry is getting more and more applied, less tolerant of uh, outside-the-box research, yes. let us say. Uh, and also when you work in industry, uh, what what is a topic for research changes uh and i've come to realize the reason it changes is because uh roughly every 3 to 4 years you get someone new kind of up high in the executive change oh. and they need to make a mark oh, they need I to i thought you were going to say technology changes but you're saying it's people changing who want to make a mark yes you 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 have a new executive in and he or she if they just Maybe the old executive was doing brilliant stuff. 
if they come in and they just keep doing the same stuff, that they're going to fail. Yes. Mm. I mean, even if it's good for the company, Mm. right? Mm. What they need to do is come in and say, we're going to make a change and this is going to create new opportunities for the company, da-da-da-da. And that may not be a bad thing. All it means is that every three to four years, the focus of what the corporation wants you to be doing as research changes. Mm. And what I did very well was, on the one hand... Uh, fitting into that uh, while maintaining, if if you look at my papers and what I've done, uh, I guess I fancy that it, it looks like I've been very consistent in choosing the things I've done and I've played the same thing, themes mm. over and over again mm. and expanded them and shifted them. Mm. Uh, and uh, that's true because I've chosen kind of a theme at the right level, right? Collaboration, uh, human-human communication, ways of using visualization to support that. And you can, there's an awful lot of things you can map that onto, right? Uh, and, and you know, originally it wasn't a strategy, but at some point I realized, oh, yes, if I do this, it'll kind of connect mm-hmm. back with that. Mm-hmm. And and also I I really am deeply interested and passionate in in that stuff so i want Mm. to do it anyway so that that's worked out very well for me uh until we made the shift into Mm. focusing on ai and and it it, it was harder to do that it was harder to do that and i I mean and for a, a number of reasons it wouldn't be impossible but uh uh you know that yeah yeah so um so that's I like that being very strategic about you know this is what I love doing and how do I need to spin it to you so that you can see that it fits your agenda yes which might mean foregrounding backgrounding different aspects right. but still doing the yes. same thing and the other thing I did that worked out well for me and didn't hurt me is I occasionally took on side projects that were mm. not funded uh, but again much thanks to uh, Wendy Kellogg, uh, you know, people would look the other way, uh, uh, and, you know, or it, as, as long as you were doing stuff to advance the corporate mission, if you did the occasional thing on the side, uh, nobody complained. And then mm. sometimes it turned out to be useful. Mm. And I think some of my best work, uh, at least the work I enjoy the most is, is stuff that had no funding to do, uh, uh, that, that I, I just did. And, uh, yeah, that's great. So, uh, I, I guess may, so. Uh, you know, if we're thinking in terms of advice, uh, I you know I'd say I, I'd encourage uh, my younger self or or younger people in my situation to be mindful. You do have to follow the corporate agenda, especially if you're pretty junior in the corporation. But if you're doing a good job of delivering value in that way, often I think there can be opportunities kind of on the side to pursue things that you think are mm, interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I think doing that is is yeah. good and healthy yeah. on many different levels. And, and I, I guess the other thing I'd say is throughout my career, I've sort of taken a, a dual approach, which is thought about how I'm perceived 
and what I'm valued for within the corporation and kept that separate mm -hmm. from how I'm perceived and valued uh, professionally. Okay. Uh, so it's kind of a split, you know, split personality. So is uh, that playing different personas as, as is needed? Or does it play out more practically in some way? It's not so much personas as how I de depict the type of work I do. Right, I right. see, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, to, to people uh, in the professional community, you know, uh, I would imagine that, you know, I'm associated with the social translucence and the awareness work and, and online conversation and online collaboration uh, within IBM, it's it's kind of a chunkier thing too, mm. right? Because IBM was very into you know social media uh, from you know the the first decade of of the century, but then the sort of executive attention span ran out, and uh, it shifted to smarter cities and shifted to this and that, and and so within IBM, I was seen more, I think. Uh, especially from the sort of management levels who are looking for resources as someone who could do studies and design, but could also communicate clearly uh, that, you know, and uh, there were enough, I sort of worked in it with enough different teams by that time that, that, you know, people did value my contributions, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's, it, 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 it's a very different uh Putting forward a, a different set of skills yes. than than yeah. would be visible to those yeah. in the. Uh, uh, it's interesting that that work that you talked about as well there is work that supports people working remotely or working in distributed ways. That's interesting yes. the way that you melded both your practical situation and your research and yeah. was able to maintain. I, I've I've always been very dri driven by by my personal situation. Mm. I mean I. I think everything I do, I try to draw inspiration from things I see in the world and problems I face, and that that's something I learned way back uh, at UC San Diego from from Don, Don Norman. I I remember, you know, even though I wasn't working with Don at the time, he had like eight eight graduate students uh, at the time. Uh, I remember he went off on vacation to Italy, and just before he left on vacation, he would bought this really expensive camera, and he got to Italy and couldn't figure out how to use the camera, and then he came back and ranted about it. Uh, and But then over time, he turned it into a research project, yes. right? That was, yeah. so, I don't know if that particular incident was the beginning of human-machine interaction, but mm. many times I saw Don take something that sort of happened to him in the real world. There was another time he published a paper called The Trouble with Unix. Mm. And and it actually got, it kind of got out onto the net and became what would have been called viral in those days, even though, you know, there were only, there weren't very many nodes on the internet. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, and he got a lot of pushback from people who were angry about his critiques of Unix. And so he took that and wrote, a paper called the trouble trouble with networks <laughs> right and and uh, you know and and i thought yeah he's he's having experiences he's making them into stories 
and then turning that into constructive research. Mm. And I, that was the first time I thought to myself, that's something I think I'm pretty good at. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, there was a lot of stuff that I was seeing in graduate school where you were making models and quantifying mm. things, or I was at there, there at the time when UCSD was involved in the early neural network yes, research and... That, you know, I was it was that. interesting. I almost did my PhD on neural ah. networks on Rummelhart and McClelland. Ah, so yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I that that didn't feel like it was a very good set mm. for fit for mm. my skill sets. But mm. I saw Don and thought, yes, I can do that. Yeah. So uh, it's recognizing different styles of research. Yes, and what, what's the fit? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so I've always had a very. I mean, I guess there's this this term of you know autobi autobiographical. I can't say it, but uh, design, uh, uh, and and that really, you know, I, I think that's a pretty good characterization mm. of how I approach things. That, and I just get curious about things. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. Wikipedia. What a stupid idea! Who who would ever think that would work, <laughs> right? I've I've done not on Wikipedia, but I've I've done several papers on systems I encountered uh, within IBM that I I would have said no, that will never work, and but. There are 17,000 people a day logging mm. in. And so mm. what on earth is going on there? Uh, mm. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. So I'm just conscious of time and, yes. and wrapping up. Are there sure. any things that I could have asked you or that you would like to be, you'd like to just sort of talk about? Or any oh, boy. thoughts? I'm trying to think if there's anything as we were kind of meandering around that I... I had uh, marked as something to talk about. Um, well, so one thing I'm grappling with right now is, so I've retired, mm -hmm. and how do I remain involved in this field, or for that matter, do I, right? Yeah. Uh, I've got the piano, which is, is very absorbing, but I do have a pretty, you know, a pretty a big fund of knowledge, uh, and... I think I have a, a somewhat unusual perspective. I, I've always liked the uh, quote, I think, attributed to Alan Kay that uh, a, a good perspective is worth 40 IQ points. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so I, I would like to at least continue to find ways to to have some kind of activity in the field. Yeah. Uh, and so I've, I've actually... So one thing I've been pondering for a long time is... Uh, I have a set of books in my head that very few people in HCI know about, uh, but that I think everyone really ought to have read, right? And uh, uh, my sort of uh, uh, principal example is Governing the Commons by Ele uh, Eleanor Ostrom. Mm -hmm. uh, another one is Seeing Like a State by the old political scientist whose name I keep forgetting, uh, It'll come in five minutes after this is over. But uh, but so one thing I'm thinking about is, I don't know, a blog, uh, a column somewhere maybe called Late Reviews, where I, I you know, I mm. review things mm. and try to make them accessible uh, to people in the field because I think if you, if you read this, if you, or if you even sort of understood the perspective, it might cause you to approach things differently. Yeah. So that's one thing. The other thing I've just started thinking about is I've had uh, conversations with uh, other colleagues in, in uh, my age range and who are thinking about retirement. Mm -hmm. And 
the the sorts of things I'm pondering with how do you stay connected without mm. sort of being full time in the community. Uh, a lot of people are wondering that, and so I've yeah. sort of pondered maybe there should be a workshop on, on as as people are aging out of the sort of yeah. professional roles that yeah. enable them to participate fully in the HCI or CSCW community. Yes. Are there ways in which they can remain available to to the community? Right, mm. because I can't. You know, a lot of students come up to me. And they're very shy. They're scared of talking to me, which is just <laughs> mind-boggling. You know, I'm a lot more scared of them than they are of me. Come on. Uh, but uh, I was, in fact, thinking, well, maybe I should get a, a, a T-shirt printed that said, not scary, come and uh, talk to me, students. Yeah. But, but you know, uh, I, I think there are a lot of people, you know, in my situation or who will be moving into my situation who would like ways to be, to, to not sort of just, Turn their backs on yeah. thirty years of experience. Experience, deep experience. Yeah, yeah. So would that that be about mentoring relationships, maybe? Or I don't know. You know, what I was thinking is it might be interesting to try to have a workshop on it. I think that sounds like a great idea. Right. And I, I, you know, as I'm heading in this direction myself, mm-hmm. I know that I'm really seriously thinking about. What impact do I want to have, and how can I make the biggest difference? Mm-hmm. And is it mm-hmm. writing another paper, or is it doing more of these sort of things, like the podcast? Yes. You know, where you might be able to touch other people because there is your time horizon changes, yes. and your choices seem not more important, but the time. You know, it's, yes, your choice about what you do with this time is, is yes. important. And then there's also. You know, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, what impacts have I had, right? Because mm. a lot of what we do, mm. I think the way science works is it's a very collective process. Mm. So, uh, you know, it's been very nice at CSCW because a number of people have come up to me and said, oh, I assigned this paper in my class. You yes. know, that's one of the biggest yes. compliments I can have. Or a couple of people have come up to me. It's <laughs> ironic that maybe in some ways my biggest contribution to the field will have been the poem I wrote, Theory, Theory. Yes. Because a lot of people, you know, a number of people have said, yes, I, I have all my first-year students read that. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll make sure I put that on the web page. Okay, okay. But, a link uh, to that because that's brilliant. Yeah, you know, and it was just, it was something I did playfully, right? Yes. I, I never thought that, you know, yeah. this is, I, I mainly made it, did it to amuse Christine Halverson because <laughs> she asked me to, to give her some feedback on uh, a discussion piece she was writing for a journal on, uh, a special journal. issue on, yeah. on activity theory, yeah. right? Uh, mm. And so I, I, read her piece and then saw her the next day and said, well, the good news is I, I read your piece and like it and, mm-hmm. and, and responded to it. And the bad news is it's 37 rhymes, uh, lines and they all rhyme. Uh, <laughs> I, I know that's, that's what makes it so wonderful. That, that sort of you know, theory, leery, weary, yes. you know, sort of playing out through yes. the whole poem. Yeah. That's brilliant. So I think there are some really important things to think about there because there are mm-hmm. a lot of people, I mean, everyone's always moving into retirement. You know, that's just the yeah. pattern of life, mm-hmm. of course. But it does seem like there are, in, in this, maybe it's the age of this community or something as well, that there are quite a few people heading there. And I, I know from conversations with other people that others who are working and sort of thinking about, you know, how do they, what's the best use of their 
career and time and experience. So it would be great to see things like a workshop happen. And I think your mm -hmm. idea for those late reviews is brilliant because with the explosion of information that's available and the importance of doing interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary mm -hmm. work, it can be really hard to navigate and say where out where in other disciplines could be stuff that's relevant or yes. interesting or that shifts my perspective. Yes. And and that's the other thing. So several years ago with David McDonald I did a book, HCI mm. Remixed, mm. which sort of took that approach, right? And yeah. we asked people to review something at least yeah. ten years old uh, that had it had a personal impact on yeah. them. And for them to talk about what that personal impact was, because I think, you know, we're not just doing research and sort of nailing down new facts. No. We're changing ourselves. We're changing how we think. We're changing yeah. our perspectives. Uh, I, I think back to a now, I think, pretty obscure paper by Allison Kidd and someone called The Marks Around the Knowledge Worker. Uh, I'm not sure it would get into in into uh, conferences today but basically she said well if you look at knowledge workers you know they read all these papers and they write these papers and they stick them in the file cabinet and they never look at them yep. again and yep. what matters is it's changed how they see the world and then they can be sort of living resources for for yeah. their organizations yeah. and so I, I think as scientists or designers or whatever we want to call ourselves that we we need to be mindful that the ultimate thing that we're doing is we're shaping ourselves and how we see the world and, and so that we can sort of help sort of the field collectively yes. uh, move in, in a good work. direction. Yeah. 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 I think that's a lovely note to finish on. So thank you so much for your time. It's been really great to be able to sit down and chat. Yes. And all the best for this new phase. Thank you so much. Mm. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> you can find the summary notes and related links for this podcast on www.changingacademiclife.com. You can also subscribe to Changing Academic Life on iTunes and now also on Stitcher. And you can follow Change Acad Life on Twitter. And if something connected with you, please consider sharing this podcast with your colleagues so that we can widen the conversation about how we can do academia differently. <laughs>